it, it's cool to see Cal Ripkins, but man, he had a lot of nagging injuries, which... Well, it's also easier to play third base and wait for a ball to come hit you once every, you know, four or five at-bats than having to run up and down a court and also defend a player for 48 minutes a night. All right, you know I don't know shit about baseball. Uh, I went into deep waters and wasn't prepared for your response. Ah. <laughs> you were waiting for those floaties, and I didn't have any. I said, hey, Sage, <laughs> how is that water? Awful. I shouldn't have got in. Let's go. Alright everybody, welcome to the 27th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon. Happy birthday to DJ Premier and Large Professor. That's what I want to say. You better put some primo beats in this this uh, podcast then, because uh, he definitely knows how to work those turntables. I think that Large Professor and DJ Premier are two of my top five favorites. And to have their birthday be three or four days away from mine, three days away from mine, it's crazy. You know, this is the the birthday podcast for you, my friend. You know, it's funny that I referenced the great hip-hop artist before I referenced myself. Are you going to be a quarter of a century old? Yeah, yeah. You're growing up right before my eyes. I, yo, anyway, yeah, I feel I feel good. It's a privilege to be 25, so I feel good about it. As you should. And hopefully the Blazers deliver you some good news during this birthday week because uh last week was no bueno. But yeah, that this week was rough. And we all knew the schedule was going to turn up and get very, very difficult. I don't think many of us knew just how bad it was or how unprepared this Trailblazer team was for the onslaught that was the Eastern Conference road trip and this Southwest road trip because it really exposed a lot of flaws that I think were covered up during that win streak. And I think it even uncovered and revealed new flaws. Uh, some of the flaws I, I really thought were revealed. Portland needs a third score, a bonafide third score that can come in and you're, you know you're getting 15 to 17 a night. Uh, all of the great teams have that third score. You know what Dame's going to give you. You know what CJ's going to give you. But what Portland had during the, that, that first, what, four or five months of the season, Gerald Henderson, once he got healthy, was providing that. And even before that, it was Alan Crabb. And to an extent, you know, Myers had shown potential to do that. And we, we got a lot from Aminu early on as well. So Portland was, I, I think, staying afloat, getting kind of a grab bag here and there from different positions. But during this nine-game stretch for the Trailblazers, I believe are, what, three and six in their last nine games? Um, let's just double-check that just to make sure. Three, six, yep, three and six. No, that's even we're even worse than I thought. Excuse me, Rip City. Three and seven in our last ten, so it makes it look even worse. But what what's happened is teams are doubling sending the entire arsenal at Lillard and McCollum and daring others to beat them, and it's working. So that was really something that opened my eyes during this, this recent 10-game stretch. Anything new uh, 
pop up to you, Sage? No, it's just the high variancy players that we happen to have. You mentioned them. And we can and for, for, for our listeners out there, what do you mean by say high variancy? So either really well or really poor? Just no consistency. No, none. And earlier in the year was we need a Robert Parrish, a guy whose job it is to score two baskets every quarter and go to the free throw line and hit a good percentage. I think that's what we need. We need a guy who will hit a, a 18 points a game by just being very consistent. And other flaws that we've already had but were uncovered or not really unrevealed when Dame was just going off was the fact that the Trailblazers do not have any sort of post offense or a rim protector inside. And, you know, give Mason Plumlee credit. He was great value for the 23rd pick in the draft. And for all the good things he does, he's still not a complete center. He's not going to block a whole lot of shots or be a fantastic one-on-one defender in the post. And we don't really have anybody outside of probably Ed Davis who finishes just on pick and rolls that's going to score out of the post. So, But Plumlee does something that you can't really teach. He actually plays very hard. And that he does. Is something and good. He plays very hard. He can dribble. He can pass. And he's become a reliable free throw shooter. But I think in an ideal world for the Portland Trailblazers, you have probably Al Farouk Aminu and Mason Plumlee coming off of your bench to support Ed Davis. Yeah. And I think that makes you a fantastic bench. You, we just need to bolster that starting lineup a little bit. Uh, I just don't see, and it's tough to go back and, and think this now because we were all riding high on that bandwagon. We, you know, I think aptly titled last week's episode riding the Rip City roller coaster because that's what this season has been. It's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I think when you get to the core of this team, they're probably a 500 basketball team. I, I think that's probably where they're going to end up. Uh, I had higher hopes when we were winning probably two weeks ago, but the schedule hit. We're all coming back down to reality, and we're seeing, okay, this team has one legit superstar, another nice player in McCollum, and the rest, like you said, you don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes they're going to be great. Sometimes they're going to disappear. And it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2K got it right. When I did that sim, 41 and 41. Seems like that's what we're going to end up being. And I think if you're looking at that and you're disappointed, you really need to remove yourself from the moment. Look back at the preseason expectations that people said 18 wins, 27 wins. Uh, they've Everything they do from here on out is icing on the cake. And I would say the only complaint that I have right now at this time, at, at this time with this team is that maybe they played too well. Because you, you don't want to back into the playoffs. And I think they could theoretically back into the playoffs with Memphis just being so banged up. I still think Dallas is not a very good team. Utah is Jekyll and Hyde. Or excuse me, Houston is Jekyll and Hyde. And Utah just can't seem to stay healthy either. So Portland, just by the basis of having Damian Lillard, could back into the playoffs. And you really don't want that. You do not want to get embarrassed on national television for four games against two of the greatest teams in NBA history. Uh, so in that sense, yes, give me the lottery pick. But if we can start to pick it up a bit and be respectable in the series, getting a fifth or a sixth game, making it a competitive series much more than last year against Memphis, then hell yeah, let's go for the playoffs. But I'm going to let the team decide how they want to enter it. 
instead of, you know, trying to root for one or the other uh, scenario. So, since the Blazers have been so good, have you been studying your draft prospects? Like, I have... No, I mean, once the Blazers, after the turn of the new year, they started clicking, and I was just kind of like, F the draft. (laughs) You know, you just, you know the draft is is not going to happen, and yeah, I still watch college basketball, but I... I start checking the mock drafts once every two weeks instead of once every two hours. <laughs> and I even went back the other day and I was like, man, this is depressing. There's nobody at the 14th pick. Uh, the reason you like it is because it's an asset and it can be used in a trade and you can never have too much young talent. But it's tough to go from looking at the prospect of a top seven pick to now, if you do get into the lottery like a 14th, you start to say things like, man, were, was that stretch in February really worth it? I think there's arguments to be made for both sides. One is probably not. The team just had a peak, and now they're back down to earth, and they are what they are. They still need a lot of help. They could use that top seven pick. On the other hand, you could say, no, that's really what the team's ceiling is, and they can get there. They just need a couple more pieces. And if you're capable of beating the 70-plus win Golden State Warriors by 30-plus points and your franchise player goes off for a career-high 51 points, those are signs of good things to come, and that's not the the only good thing that's going to come from the season. Like better things are to come. Glass half full approach, and, and say that that is what what's to come for Portland. We do need a lot of pieces, but as long as you've got Dame and CJ, we're in pretty damn good hand. It's all about star players and culture. We got the star player. We got a great foundation piece. It's just about finding the people, the the pieces to put around him, and developing a winning culture. Developing a culture where it's cool to grind hard on defense. You know, it's cool to come to Portland. It's cool to come play play with Dame in front of these amazing fans. But you mentioned the draft. Have you been keeping your, your oh, eyes God, on, yes. on the board? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, mean, being I know a, you're, you're a big college hoops junkie. Uh, you've been watching watching the games. Who is really on your Sage mock board, whether it's for... The Pellies or, or the Blazers, if they do, drop down to the, into the lottery. Who are you, who are you liking? I really like Demetrius Jackson from Notre Dame. Would you acquire a first-round pick to draft him? Because most mocks have him going mid to late first. I would. I, if I was New Orleans, I definitely would try and trade an asset for him because I think he could run um, a fast-paced tempo offense really well. I really like Furkan from uh, Turkey. I think he is a good fit for both teams, both of the teams that I root for, especially if Portland seems to miss out on the playoffs. I think he could fill in that uh, Alan Crabb role really well. I kind of think of him as a Turkish Clay Thompson. Those what about your your man crush? You've been you've been crushing on a few, so I'm going to bring up a couple names: Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray. I, I really love Murray. I sell just... me on sell me on Buddy Heald though, because I, I I'm not sure about him yet. I think that his uh, off-the-ball movement is elite level, and he can shoot if he chills on the really bad shots where it's a lot of uh, time on the shot clock. He's a great piece. And for Portland, you already have the star player. You're just looking for people that can fill a role, and he can fill that role of uh, a Rip Hamilton run-through screens gets that open J. But he doesn't have handles, though, right? I think. I, I mean, I think he has handles. He's not. Not, C- not CJ. No, no. He's okay. not. He's not Eric Gordon, though. He's not. 
you're worried about him dribbling up court. I think he, he would be just fine. And so let's go back to Murray because I think he's been the most impressive freshman of the year. And when he was dropping in mocks, I had really had no idea why. He looks like the total package, can create his own shot, can play the one or the two. And, you know, Kentucky took a loss against Indiana a lot earlier than most experts had them bounce, bowing out of the tournament. But there's no doubt in my mind he is going uh, early lottery, and I think mm. he would be amazing for New Orleans. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I said that early this year. I think that his intelligence on the defensive end is where he really shines because I saw a bunch of plays where he covered for Ill, uh, the, the the really short point guard. Ulyss? Yeah. He reads the defense. He reads offenses really well on defense. So he is going to be a great piece for whomever gets him. Hopefully not Sacramento, though. Nobody <laughs> should ever want to go to Sacramento. And the Ducks, who obviously I'm a huge fan of, they take on Duke in the Sweet 16 on Thursday. I'm going to get an up-close and personal look at Brandon Ingram. Uh, I saw a few of his games against, um, it was Yale, and they played, I think, the Seahawks. I can't remember what actual college they were mm. from. But the dude is long. He's super lean, and he's got handle. Uh, I, can I, definitely, I can definitely see where the Durant comparisons come from. However, it has to be a very, very... Um, light comparisons because KD was putting up big numbers as a freshman, <laughs> making it look easy on offense. Uh, I don't think he's got the offensive, you know, repertoire of, of a Durant right now. And I don't and think he's ballsy enough to have be Durant. He likes to shy away from big moments. I've noticed when I've watched him, but at the same time, I take him over Ben Simmons, and I'm. We were loving Ben Simmons. I, I still love Ben Simmons. I think people are starting to look for reasons not to like a kid, and when that happens, it's usually not good. It happened with Andre Drummond. He played with point guards who wouldn't pass him the ball, and what happens? He drops down to ninth, and now he was easily a top three pick from that draft. I think when you start trying to pick apart a player who is already by far and away the top prospect in the draft, you're just looking for trouble, I think. Yes, he has his limitations, but in this draft class, which... I think is pretty good, but not elite. I wouldn't think twice about taking him. I know Michael Wolbon said he would take Bryce Johnson from North Carolina a hundred times out of a hundred. To me, Bryce Johnson looks like a, a PJ Brown type of role player in the NBA. Might have a nice career. Ben Simmons, you have a chance to get a real stud. And I don't think, I think Simmons is, Unfortunately, he is burdened by the expectations of what the media put on him. He can only do what he does well. Uh, he's not going to demand the ball or be a ball hog. He's a great facilitator. He's super unselfish. Remind me again, why are we bombing on a kid who loves being unselfish and making his teammates better and trying to share the basketball instead of going Kobe on people and shooting the ball 30, 40 times a night? I think there's something incredibly wrong with that. And if you want to take Ingram over, Simmons, I think that's the only debate there is. But oh, other, yeah. than that, other than that, Simmons would be my guy, and I would be thrilled if I was a GM to have him because I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic. Mm. So one last thing on the tournament. For those that listened, and you should have last week, we pretty much predicted Michigan State losing to Middle Tennessee State. 
Yeah, it was tongue in cheek, but the sage curse is so real. It, it start it started in 2013 with Otto Porter and the Georgetown Hoyas. Just had met my man Sage. Wanted to know who we was going with in the tournament. He's got Hoyas, Hoyas, Hoyas. You know, in the final. I'm like, Are you sure about that? He's like, Yeah, I love this kid's game. It is fantastic. <laughs> what happens? I think they get bounced in the first round. Yep. And this has happened before on the podcast. He has a man crush on Chris Middleton, and he stunk it up against the Blazers. I had a man crush on the entire Iowa State team uh, last tournament. Last tournament, they bowed out in the first round. And then, of course, Denzel Valentine. I really like him as a prospect, but Sage loves him. And to be fair, I picked Michigan State to make it to the title game, but it we're just going to blame this one on Sage, because this is the Sage curse. This is where we're going with this. If I talk lovingly about a player... In college. In college. Your, your, the end of your career is gonna suck. So uh, I'm hopeful that this happens with Brandon Ingram and Duke, and he just lays a massive egg, and my ducks, you know, <laughs> go from sweet to elite. Yeah, I mean, I, I did say some pretty lofty things about Brandon Ingram, but I, I, I don't know if the curse happens multiple times, or just to the person I talked the most lovingly about. I will say the curse didn't affect the AD Kentucky team. But I think that team was too talented to fail. I think the only thing that could affect that AD Kentucky team was the hands of God. Mm-hmm. So, I also thought uh, T-Rob was going to be great. So, Oh, same here. So, about that bracket, we are giving away an Eminem Dame Time T to whoever wins the Holy Backboard bracket. My God, this is the worst bracket I have ever submitted. I am probably in dead last. Well, How are you doing, Sage? Well, I'm going to check for sure to see if you're in dead last. I assume you are. Oh, I'll take that one like a champ. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't put you in a good predicament, a, a good situation to succeed with my curses. D-Money is in last place. That's how I roll. I'm in sixth, but I have like the least amount of points to work with because of my love for Denzel Valentine. Yeah, I, I can still make it up out of the swaller. My, my, the seller, <laughs> my, my ducks will, will pull me up. Yeah. That Dylan Brooks kid, I like his first name, first of all, but he's Oh, yeah, he's got fantastic first name, but if he comes back, and I think he should, Tyler Dorsey is going to be a fantastic <laughs> NBA player. Guy can shoot. He can shoot off screens. He has, you know, the onions that you're looking for out of a player. When when the Ducks were in that deficit, he came back and made a lot of big buckets. So did Brooks. Um, I really like this team. Would love to see them to keep marching on. Uh, but, you know, that, this isn't... Go ahead, go ahead. That last play for St. Joe's was brutal, man. I felt oh, for the kid. I felt for the Afro. You want kid. to talk about feeling for a team. What oh, about man. the Northern Iowa Panthers? My God, how I thought the Blazers losing a 35-point lead in the, the first half against the Clippers in preseason was the worst. They were up 12 points with like 35, 36 seconds left, and they lost. How in the world is that possible? Uh, you got to play until the end of the whistle? I, I mean, there's no... I, I think that is a case of a team collectively getting the yips and not knowing how to do... Just the simple fundamental basketball, whether it's inbounding the ball, catching it and dribbling. I mean, at that point, if if you're Northern Iowa, just catch the ball and throw it down court and take four or five seconds off it and try and play defense just so the clock will run out. But 
I do not think we will ever see anything like that again. It's it's what makes March Madness and what makes the tournament so great. And it's one of the best weekends, I think, in all of sports. It ruins my week. It ruins my weekend. I I I maybe moved 30 steps those two days. Just I wanted to watch. Like, when I was watching the Blazer games, I was also watching Buddy Heald. It, it, it is, this tournament is so fantastic to watch. You but, know, speak, speaking of the Blazers, uh, let's get back, uh, on track a bit. It was a, a very difficult <clears throat> one and three road trip, uh, in the Southwest. We really needed to go two and two. No, the media right. said that we did not need to do that. Well, which is the media such needs- bullshit. The media needs to quit putting kid gloves on the Blazer fan base. We've been through Sam Bowie. We've been through Greg Oden. We've been through Brandon Roy. We've been through Game 7. Uh, you name it, we've been through it. Quit treating this fan base like we're, we're first graders and can't be uh, afraid to hear that the Blazers might miss the playoffs. Uh, I'm so sick of the messaging, and I know it doesn't come from the actual announcers. They're getting directive from up above. So don't blame Mike and Mike. They're only doing what they're told. But, yeah, it, it was incredible to say this game didn't mean as much to Portland because absolutely it did. We lost earlier in the season to Dallas in a game we blew. We were up seven with, like, a minute 33 left, ended up going to overtime, and we lost the game. With us only playing three games against the Mavericks, we had to win this game for a shot at getting the tiebreaker. So to say this game isn't as important to the Trailblazers, you said bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the, the Pelicans beat the Thunder 3-1. to one. Last year, and that is the only reason the Pelicans made it to the playoffs. Tiebreakers matter, and the fact that people thought this didn't really matter was immensely frustrating to yeah, deal with. Yeah, I, I think you're being completely unrealistic if you thought this game didn't matter. I think every game down the stretch matters. You have to start picking up wins because as we look at at the standings right now. Uh, Memphis picked up a big win tonight in, in Phoenix. Phoenix had beaten them the pe- previous, uh, two times. So Memphis looks almost uncatchable right now. They've got, they got a couple crazy wins uh, over the Clippers and, and Cavaliers. So then you've got the 60 Trailblazers, 36 and 35, and the ninth Sea Jazz, 40, or 34 and 36, separated by a game and a half. It's ridiculous how close this and is. And on one hand, you could say the Blazers weathered this storm of two road trips and then another game against Golden State, sandwiched in between, and are still in sixth. On the other hand, if you're like me, you're a little upset because the teams below you aren't playing super well, and now you got yourself in a position where you have to win now. You could have given yourself some insurance by picking up wins that I think you should have beaten Toronto, and I think you should have beaten Dallas, and a couple wins goes... It goes so far, but this Dallas game, Portland lost 132 to 120 in overtime. One of the most frustrating games I can remember watching this team play. And it all starts with Terry Stotts. Uh, I think he's yes. a good coach. I think he's a good coach, but if he doesn't get his shit together defensively, Portland needs to start looking at other options. And I know there's a lot of Stott supporters out there. I know he won Coach of the Month in the Western Conference for February. He did an outstanding job. But the Trailblazers' defense has been disgusting, and that's putting it in the nicest way possible. We have allowed 122.6 points per game 
over our last seven losses. That's unacceptable. To, to put this in comparison, the Sacramento Kings currently have the worst defense when in terms of points allowed. They're only giving up, and I say only in the most you know loving term, 109.6. The Trailblazers are giving up 13 more points per game over their, their last uh, seven or eight losses than the Sacramento Kings who have the worst defense. That is asinine, and I don't know how he's not getting more questions about that or why it's not being a, a bigger story in, in the media because what I'm reading on the forums, when I'm talking to you, when I'm talking to Olga, um, you know, just other Blazer fans, we've had it. We're fed up. We realize this isn't a great defensive team, but my expectations aren't to be elite. It's not even to be middle of the road. It's just to be respectable, and it's not happening. And to consistently see them go down the court, switch that pick and roll so easily, not even put a finger up or, you know, put any resistance on Dallas and to consistently see Dame and CJ uh, guarding Dirk Nowitzki in the post. Uh, I mean, he's 37 years old and he scored 40 points against us. Darren Williams had 31 points. And what did he have? He looked like Utah Darren Williams. He had 31 points on 18 shots. He had 16 assists. Of the 60 games Darren Williams has played this year, he has scored over 30 twice. The opponent, the Portland Trailblazers, have been the culprits both times. <laughs> I am so tired of seeing every single point guard, no matter the caliber, look like Magic Johnson against this defense. And this mm. is not calling out Dame. It, it, this is a team defense that really needs to get their shit together. Because I don't want to back into the playoffs. And I understand that I sound like I'm ranting and I'm angry. And that's because I am. Like, I mm. don't want to watch terrible defense. It, it, you have to win on both ends of the court. And really, it starts on defense. This team is too good offensively to score 120 points and lose. You're not doing yourselves any favors. And I, I just I don't know why Terry Stotts continues to play the type of defensive style he does. I'll, I give him a pass against teams like Oklahoma City because... One, there's no guarding Westbrook. And two, they just are too big for us down low. It's a bad matchup. Dallas is a bad team. They had lost six straight home games before playing us. And two of their best five players are either really injured or playing injured. Wesley Matthews was really injured. Chandler Parsons didn't play. Zaza Pachulia only played like three minutes. We got beat by a, another player who I'd never heard of until that game. It's just so like, you talked about becoming just an average team, just an average defensive team. And I'll admit, I don't know any example for the Blazers, but I do for the Hornets. The New Orleans Hornets became, were like a average team in a defensive team in 2007. Average. They stopped fouling so much and became an elite defense. All it takes is stopping being bad in one category once you're average to become elite. So the jump from bad to average is huge, but average to elite is just one statistical category. And I really think Terry's scheme is putting them in a, a tough position oh. to even be. But it's also on the players. Yeah, yeah, it's a two-way street. It's yeah, definitely a two-way street. But I think if you have a coach who Terry is a fantastic offensive mind, I will not doubt that. I give exactly. him exactly when it comes to that. 
I want to see that type of innovation on the defensive side. When you're getting torched for 46 minutes, don't wait till the last two to make an adjustment. Finally, we saw Aminu getting put on Dirk, and he was somewhat denying the entry pass for two straight possessions. What happened? We got the ball back mm-hmm. both times. Why want- is it, why, Sage, why is it taking him so long to adjust and adapt? He can't. I think it's part stubbornness. Without a doubt, it's part stubbornness. And then, I, I I hate to say it, but sometimes I don't feel like the Portland Trailblazers are a high basketball IQ team. When I see really stupid mistakes, like you're up by six, rush a shot. There are some parts of the game where I think this team's either very young, which is very true, and they're playing dumb. And trust me, I watch what I think is the dumbest team on a regular in the New Orleans Hornets, the Pelicans. And this team isn't that dumb, but they have some of that dumb characteristics where they get f- over, they get flustered. And I, I, I've been saying we need a defensive coordinator for this entire year. And it, against these teams where it's so easy to stop them, I think it's super easy to stop New Orleans. And Dallas, because right now they're the same exact team without Anthony Davis. So if I'm seeing the problems, some guy who's studied defense for his entire life is going to find them as well. So we need to do in the offseason is talk to Terry and say, hey, are you willing to give some of the responsibility for the defense to someone who studied it really well? You're still the head coach, but we need some extra help. And if he can accept that extra help, really the sky's the limits for this team because we have the athletes to play good defense, plain and simple. And but. what do you, what did you think about another big turning point in that game? As terrible as their defense was, Portland had a chance to win this game in regulation. Dallas had missed two free throws, about 13 seconds left. I personally wanted to see the Blazers push the ball up the court. That timeout was stupid. Get the last shot. I think timeouts in those situations. Now, if Dallas had made one free throw, I think a timeout is fine because you want to say, okay, guys, we need one bucket to win the game. But they missed both. Game is tied. We are playing with house money. If you push the ball up, you're likely to get a, a mismatch in transition. Dallas is not the best defensive team, nor the youngest, nor the most athletic. You could have really gotten them on their heels and got a better shot. Instead, we call timeout. We let Dallas draw up a defense, not like it mattered because Stotts draws up an ISO play that led to a you know fadeaway three pointer when the game is tied. Why are you shooting a three? I don't blame him one hundred percent for that one. No, Dame Dame needs to take a better shot than that. And I love Dame. I'm probably the biggest Dame cheerleader and supporter there is out there. But that was a terrible shot. You have got one of the worst set of defensive guards in the NBA, trying to, to handle you. Take their ass off the dribble and get to the cup. Yep. Um, yeah, it, having a defense be set is such a, like, it's a positive thing for that defense. But when you're scrambling, anything can happen. It could have been, it resulted in a layup for the Blazers. I think that he should have been very cautious about it. Run for the fast break. If it doesn't, there's three seconds left. You draw a play, and you're good. But that... I don't blame Terry for that game, because what I saw on the defensive end was just piss poor. 
See, I blame him wholeheartedly for that game because that's his scheme. You tell your players, okay, let's just, you know, switch on everything. But there's, there's definitely effort that they lacked in that game. Well, to be fair, I thought they, you know, played pretty damn hard considering it was, you know, they, they played a lot of road games lately. This yeah. is, the, this was the last game of the road trip. Uh, it was an early game. I, I don't question the effort. I think they actually got wore down towards the end because when Dame's not on the court, the team's just kind of faltering down. Um, I don't question the effort. I know they, they bust their ass and they, they leave it on the floor all the time. The only time I got upset with the effort was that Boston game, uh, a while back. But this one, I thought they, they fought back. They could have easily folded in the tent. They, they really rallied. I just think if you're a coach, you need to tell them, hey, fight through screens and maybe get the rotations a little bit, you know, quicker, almost like hockey, because there's no way Dallas should be the better conditioned team or have more energy, uh, even though they're playing at home. They're a very old, aging veteran team. Portland's, like I said, they got the young legs. They're the second type of the second youngest team in the NBA. You know, if you need to take, take some guys out, put them in, like, do it. Extend the rotation. Um, that's fine with me too. I just, I don't know. That game was super frustrating. One other thing on this game before we move on, actually two things. One, great to see Alan Crabb back. Uh, he had 24 points on a career high, six threes, five boards. Really hope that signals his turnaround and out of his slump. Uh, Plumley was amazing. 14 points and a career high, nine rebounds, but 19 rebounds, 19 rebounds. Yes. But one final thing from this game, Portland shot 46 three-pointers in that game. That's a lot. That's too much. I know that's the shot Dallas is giving you, but... How many did Aminu have? Like eight? Um, Aminu shot four of 12 from the field. Every attempt was from three. Every attempt was wide open. That was obviously their strategy to let him try to beat them from downtown. Uh, it's a good strategy. Good strategy, but in the end, I don't think offense was the problem. I do think the 46 threes a bit much. I think we could have got to the cup a little bit more, um, got to the free throw line, but it wasn't the offense. It comes down to stopping the opponent, and we just didn't have it. Hopefully, we can atone for this and beat the Mavs on Wednesday, but that was definitely a frustrating game. Speaking of a frustrating game, what's next? You know, you already know, Blazers-Pelicans, it rips apart your soul every time you see your two teams play. Whenever I tweet over, like, five times in a game, it's almost always the Pelicans, and I'm always nervously tweeting. Yeah, and this was a game. I had the Ducks on the laptop. They were beating the snot out of the Holy Cross, and I had the Blazers on, on the big TV with the sound on, and I was watching it, and I was super stoked. Like, they looked like they were just cruising going to, you know, go to a 20-point win, and all of a sudden, the wheels fall off. Yeah. I mean, we are getting beat, we were getting beat by a team that didn't have Anthony Davis for the second half. Tell them how many good players are on that team without... Without, without An- yeah. Ryan Anderson. Drew Holiday. He had Did 30. He, he had 30. Oh, yeah. How, I mean, another point guard, another <laughs> big night. And Frazier had, like, 12, like... Those three guards, Tony Douglas. Tim Frazier had, we made Tim Frazier look like all NBA. He had 13 points, four assists, three, three rebounds. And didn't Tony Douglas do really well as well? Mm, I, I think it was mostly Drew and Rhino. Man, that. I mean, Ryan Anderson had 
30 points on 21 shots, got to the line eight times. He looked like young Dirk, didn't he? He looked like he wanted to be a member of the Portland Trailblazers this offseason. But at, like, max money. No, I think he'll take a little hometown discount. For me? Yeah. (laughs) But want to know how you stop Ryan Anderson in the beginning of the game so he doesn't get super confident? Play physical. And put Alfred Camino on him at the start because Alfred Camino can catch. Ryan Anderson is a fantastic player moving without the ball. You can you'll you see it when he gets open trays that you don't expect to be open. But Alfred Camino could have stayed with him. But did they ever put that matchup on? No, they put a they screened so Ryan Anderson had Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. And he took him to the post. He's just like Dallas. It, it it was a carbon copy of the same game, except uh, Tim Frazier played. It was the sa- It's essentially the same team. You know, Portland was extremely lucky that Gerald Henderson was cooking. Uh, he had 14 points on eight shots in the first half alone. Ended up with 19 and uh, six boards in 27 minutes. That made up for Alan Crabb only getting one point in 28 minutes of action. That shows your, your, you know, the inconsistencies you were talking about players before. One night's getting 24, the next night getting one. But this game was one behind Dame, who had 33, six rebounds, four assists, and CJ, who had 30 points, six assists, and three rebounds. And I was sweating it out. It, it wasn't until Dame dribbled the ball, kind of probed that defense, found CJ on the wing for that three that really put us ahead. And, you know, thank God we were making our free throws on the night. We were 36 of 40. Plumlee was just huge down the stretch for those free throws. But there's no way this should have been a 117-112 Blazer victory. It should have been 117 to, like, 97. Exactly. I don't know how you give up 112 points to this Pelicans team this beat up at this point of the season. So... There is a such thing as an injury exception. So when three players on your team are out for four games or more, you get a 16th player. Pelicans at that time had two of those injury exceptions. That means that their top six players, besides Drew and Ryan, were out. That is outrageously bad. It seems like we have we have trouble guarding point guard. That's something you can address on the offseason, but... To not guard Ryan Anderson when he is next level hot is almost unacceptable in my mind because he and Drew Holiday were the offense. Yeah, that's just another... I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it stops. Maybe it's the players. Combination of both. I think it's the scheme and the players. Yeah, it's the scheme. I think it's really the scheme because the players... I think they are smart basketball players. They play fantastic on offense. They know when to share the ball. I think it's the defense. They really just need, like you said, somebody to coach them on the defensive end that has a scheme and strategy in place and holds them accountable. If you're not fighting through screens or doing your job, then you go to the bench. So have, are you going to start looking, start scouting for the, the associate head coaches or the coaches that are underutilized? I'm not that nerdy. I have no, I, oh, no idea. Uh, yeah, because I'm totally. I not lean that on nerdy. you for that knowledge. Because <laughs> I, I'm totally not that nerdy. Kenny Atkinson, Mike. I'm, but, I'm just gonna say it here. If Terry's not willing to make those concessions with the defense, Kenny Atkinson. 
That's who my vote is. And you know, I really don't want to get rid of Terry. He's, like I said, fantastic offensive coach. The players love him. All get along with him. Everything seems to be there. But I need to see progress from this defense over the last 11 games before I can fully commit to wanting him back. I know my opinion means jack shit in, in the realm of things. But for me personally, I, I wouldn't mind a change if the defense doesn't get better because basketball is a two-way game. You can't win just playing one way. You look at the Warriors. Fantastic offense, but when they need to, they will lock you up. Or when they don't need to. They're like the second best defensive team in the league. You look at the Spurs. I think it's all about establishing that culture where defense is cool. Defense has to be cool. We don't have that at all. And, like, remember how much shit I gave the... Was watching that game like a uh, old school reunion for you to see Dante Cunningham, Tim Frazier, Luke Babbitt, Alonzo G. Man, you guys take all of our second players. Well, you have a lot of our sloppy seconds as well, my friend. Just Aminu. Chris Kamen. Okay. He is taking up a role, and that is being the MLE for the the Portland Trailblazers. But on the real, I am super... I'm super stoked for Tim Frazier. Okay, Hope he cool. ends the season with another second day, second 10 day contract because he can play basketball. He just needs some playing time. And, you know, I love seeing him succeed. By all accounts, he's a hard worker, got really, um, was really beloved by all of his teammates. You can see that by when they're tweeting at him when he was doing well in the D League with the, the Red Claws of Maine. And then during his, his opening performance, uh, against the Kings with the Pelicans. So you could tell he was really beloved by his teammates. So I, I hope he continues to have a strong finish to the rest of the season. Rumor has it that the Pelicans are going to use the rest of their MLE on him. So he'll be on, a, on the Pelicans for like three years at $3 million a year. I mean, that's a good gig for him. That, yeah, and a partial MLE is better than a BAE or a, 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 a fighting for another contract. That's a stability. I mean, yeah, you look where he came from. He came from fighting Phil Presti for the last roster spot to getting a guaranteed deal. You take that money and run. Yeah. And you get to work with Anthony Davis? Not for a full 82 games, though. Oh, my goodness, man. Ooh, hot take. (laughs) Oh, man. The fact that he put in a top 10 year with a torn labrum in his shoulder just makes me love him more. So who is his agent, though? Because... Or how do people not know that he needs surgery? Somebody has to know and tell him, you need to sit and you need to get this fixed, because that's the Nick Batum type shit right there. Three years can... without doing it. See, I, I, that I, that's just a little fishy to me. Uh, somebody's got to know. A doctor. Uh, a, a friend. You know, somebody really has to. Three years? Come on. Yeah, it's it's... One of the major things that I love about the Portland Trailblazers is the stability and the prestige of this team. Because for most of Chris Paul's career in New Orleans, they practiced in what is essentially a YMCA gym. They didn't have a practice facility. Portland has all that structure there. They have all this fantastic equipment. We just need people to help teach the the team to mold together. And one thing about Kendrick Perkins, that play was absolute bullshit. I was furious when I saw that. That was probably the worst foul I've seen in quite some time. I I, he, I don't think he got suspended, but he should. I would have suspended him for five plus games. I thought that 
was one of the dirtiest plays. And I think he has a reputation for being kind of like a fake tough guy. Uh, I've never liked Perk. That just kind of cemented it. There's no, there's no room in that. There's no room for that type of foul in the NBA. Absolutely not. And the two things that he does on the NBA court is set screens and sort of know his role on defense, which I guess for the Pelicans was a huge deal. But yeah, huge, huge body. Huge. Yeah, he'll set, he sets really cheap legal screens. So that, that's what his role is, Rip City. And that, that team, New Orleans Pelicans, are not a group of Kendrick Perkinses. Half of the team is former Blazers, so you should know, but they're, they're a bunch of good players and good dudes. Yeah, so, some Blazer fans don't, don't see it that way. Oh my goodness, my Twitter feed was absolutely bananas with like yes let one player please define the entire program exactly and like but that's what happens sage it happens to every fan when the garrett blunt threw the punch to boise state i heard all that shit oh the ducks are a bunch of you know you know fighters and you know losers and, and whatever you know superlative you want to throw at them for one player throwing a punch who from all accounts that guy was talking a lot of shit and maybe if Maybe I think rumor has it through that through the N word. He throws the N word, man. Look, Garrett, clock him again for me. When people throw those racial epithets, trust me. But that's not what ESPN sees or the other fan bases see. So you know, there's always a few fans in, in the base that are always going to judge an entire team by one player's actions. So I would just say hit the mute button on Twitter and let's but move I like along. Those follows. Nah, not worth it. <laughs> Let's move along to that Spurs game. Uh, kicked off, um, our week. Uh, Portland had already lost to the Thunder, so we kind of figured they would lose this one to the Spurs just because, you know, they're, they're undefeated at home. They even beat the, the Golden State Warriors at home, and they're looking like they're going to be undefeated the entire year. Uh, Portland dropped it 118 to 110. Uh, it was actually a very competitive game in the first half. I believe Portland was only down two. Uh, Patty Mills had that incredible flop to get those, those free throws at the end of the half. Absolutely ridiculous. One of the reasons I will not root for the Spurs, uh, including LaMarcus Aldridge, is they flop a lot. They whine a lot. I don't know why they don't get enough, um, crap for it like the Clippers do, but they're almost just as bad when it comes to that. So, uh, I really hope they, they flop in, in the playoffs. But San Antonio had a 10-0 run to start the third quarter in about two minutes, and you knew the game was over right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, another point guard that went off, Tony Parker, went 18-16 and 16 this game. And Patty Mills had 17 points in 17 minutes. <laughs> Actually, 21 minutes. No, maybe you're right. Either way, he shot only 12 shots and got 17 points. Um, the fact that, I, I swear to God I said this on the show, when you have to back, when you have to turn your back and dribble up the court, you're essentially done as a point guard. And then <laughs> playing against the Blazers rejuvenates you so much. You have a, such a fantastic game. Yeah, I this whole point guard, it, it's got to be fixed. And this game also really opened my eyes to Portland needing a third option. You know, you've got Dame getting 23 points, uh, six assists, three rebounds. CJ getting 26 on, on hit, you know, four threes, seven boards and two assists. No other Blazer had more than 12 points. You're not going to beat not only the Spurs, you're not going to beat a lot of teams like that. You just need more production. Uh, but, but speaking of production, I thought Von Lee played pretty well, uh, eight and four in just 11 minutes. The dude needs more time. It's absolutely, 
Yep. It, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Like, we're not going to win a first-round series, most likely, or the goal is to win a championship. We can all sit here and, and realistically say it is not happening this year and be okay with that. We need to give this kid more than just, here's the first six minutes of the first quarter, here's the first six minutes of the third quarter, do as you will. You've got to let him get into a flow because he's showing that he's got a nice touch around the rim. Uh, he even banked in a couple jump shots. He's got talent, but you can't just expect him to perform in, in six minutes, especially when he's on that starting level where he is the fifth option on offense. You want Dame and CJ to shoot more. Mason's a great pick and roll player and Aminu's open in the corner for threes a lot. So there aren't a lot of shots for him to, I just, I don't understand it. I think he's, he's shown enough potential. I mean, you've gone this far with him. Why not give him more minutes? And then when we start giving Chris Kamen minutes, because Myers was out with a dislocated shoulder, yes, Kamen played fine, but that is not the point of the season. I don't care what our record is right now. This has been and always will be a developmental season, not wins and losses. So that really pissed me off. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at the box score, and it's just like, why Why give Chris Kamen any run when – you got dudes like Vonley getting anything. And was uh, Alexander suited and booted? I kind of forgot. Uh, no, I think they all still stuck in uh, the D-League. I think they're coming back. Oh, okay. They're coming back for this game against Dallas. But again, he's another player who I would like to see get minutes over Chris Kamen. Again, Kamen played well for that game. And... I understand Stotts trying to win the game. But what, what's, what, what's, what do you think his thought process is on giving Vonley such limited minutes? Maybe they don't think he's ready for it. But then when I hear, whenever I hear, hear Neil talk about him, it's always in glowing. It's always glowing. He's the oh, best I, defensive player on our team. I can guarantee you that the reason he's starting is because Neil probably told him and Paul, like, hey, we traded Batum for this guy. He's only 20. We're not in it to win it this year. Mm-hmm. He needs minutes. So I think that's definitely coming down from the front office why Bonley's starting and, and getting any run at all. Um, I think if it was up to Terry, probably, you know, Kamen would be getting all those minutes. So is Terry one of those coaches that doesn't like giving the young guys I think run? Terry's just trying to win by any means necessary. And you don't fault him for that. But at the same time, you have to know what the objective is of the season. And it is getting guys like like Noah some playing time. This is essentially his rookie year since he was, you know, banged up his first year in Charlotte. Let's see what the kid can do. And, I mean, he had all those mediocre white power forwards ahead of him, too. Give, we got to see what he can do. It's absolutely ridiculous. Because with, you know, free agency coming up, you want to see, hey, do we really want to go and get maybe like a trade for, trade for a veteran power forward like Mahal Millsap? You know, it would be nice to know more about Von Ley before making a decision like mm-hmm. that. But to be honest, we don't know any more about him than we did, say, two months ago. And I think that's a shame. We should have known more. And then if we trade for the better and power forward, like a Favors or a Millsap, that cuts Von Ley's minutes out. Because you need to give that vet his minutes. How did you feel about Damien having 40 minutes and McCollum having 39 in the Spurs game? Yeah. That's a lot of minutes. That's, that's a, a lot, lot of minutes for a game you know you're not going to win. And exactly. I think it's But do you think he knew that, that we weren't going to win? 
Terry. No, that's the thing. He's always going to say, we're going to fight to the end. And, you know, as we saw with the Northern Illinois or Northern Iowa game, anything can happen. To me, though, the chances of, of that happening, you know, what, what's the risk reward? Is, is it worth a, a 0.01% chance of winning or would you rather sit Dame? You know, with this being a possible playoff year, a likely playoff year, but not a deep playoff run, I'd be saving those minutes, the mileage on Damon CJ for next year, the year after, when you're really trying to make, uh, you know, a statement in the postseason. And this it was year, a back-to-back game, keep in mind. The Spurs wasn't. We actually had two days off in oh, sure. that game. It was a, a little bit much, but I'm not going to really shake and my then head he, too much at it. But where do you want him at? 35, 36? 34? There's no perfect number. Hopefully you could get him to 35 or 36, but it, it depends on the game. Some I would try to rest him as much as possible in blowouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the Warriors game was managed perfectly. We knew we were not going to win that game in the fourth quarter. He sat the entire quarter, even when Brian Roberts and Pat Connaughton led a charge back that forced Golden State to bring their starters in. thought it was fantastic that Stotts did not, you know, go to a Lillard and a McCollum. And... Hopefully that that stays the same. I, I would I would rest him as much as I can get away with. Fair enough. Uh, Let's talk a little about Myers Leonard, who dislocated, I believe, the same shoulder, and there has been no timetable announced, and he dislocated that. We found out he was not going to play in that Spurs game. How how does that affect not only the Trailblazers this year, but his I- impending restricted free agency status in this offseason? I feel like we need more information to really have a good idea, but I feel like it's going to impact it pretty negatively. You don't want to pay for damaged goods and such. So for the Trailblazers, this probably means more Mo Harkless, but we are looking at situations where it would have been nice to have Myers out on the floor. I think that Dallas game, if you're getting all those three-point shots, Myers is a guy who can hit threes. If they're not going to defend Myers and Aminu and anybody not named Lillard and McCollum, I would have loved to have Leonard out there because he can shoot with the best of them. I mean, yes, you probably don't want to pay a hefty premium for him this offseason, but we have him under contract right now. And I think he could could have helped us. So as much, I think, crap as Myers gets, whether it's um, deserving so or, or not so, not so deserving, he can help a team win games on the offensive end and has shown, and we're going to talk about this when it, against a guy like Boogie Cousins, can win games on the defensive end as well. So he does have value. Yeah, oh, it's not, it, my, my critiques of him was never, he doesn't have value. He has value in two, he has two NBA skills. But I just think that those two NBA skills can be a lot cheaper. But... Do we really think now that the whole rumor of the the four years, sixty million has passed, that he's really going to get a ton of money coming his way? There's a lot of dumb GMs in the in the league. Uh so we're we're, we're talking about a 24 year old center who is in his fourth year in the league. He's averaging eight and a half points, five rebounds, shoots. from the field and 38% from three. Um, That's what you're looking at. I don't know if a guy going into his fifth year is really going to command as much money as I think we all feared. I think everybody's starting to come down to that, the expectation. Yeah, he he could perform better, but 
I think these whole really high, high numbers that were getting thrown out in the double digits, I'm not so certain that's going to be the case, especially with this shoulder. Now that it's looking like it's the same shoulder and it takes a, it takes, I think, surgery for it actually to fix. Don't quote me on that, but I know it takes, it takes some time because once you dislocate it once, Larry was telling us on one podcast, it's bound to happen again. So you have to really take care of it. I think that anyone under the age of 29 is going to get paid. And a lot of teams are going to have that money to spend. And I think one coach is going to say, I can make him into the next whomever. So I I, I think that where it's not going to be, at, it's not going to be super expensive. It's still going to be quite spending. So are you thinking like the ten to twelve million dollar a year range? Us, yeah, maybe higher. Ooh. I mean, yo, what? that he has all the the things you're looking for in a in a center. I I think that there's gonna be some coach that thinks I can make him into that star. What's your what's your number that you say you draw the line in the sand with Myers and say if you get more than this I'm sorry we just cannot re-sign you. Am I thinking Dylan Sage the host yes. of the Holy Backboard yeah. who isn't a big fan of him? Yeah. Uh I'd go low and say if you get 8 mil or more we'll see you later. What about you? See, I'm really in love with the idea of getting a guy like spending the, the cap that we have on a guy like Ryan Anderson. Um, there's a few other players out there who I think would be nice additions. Um, and still in Dame's career arc, we need to win now with Lillard. We cannot waste his prime years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much longer it's going to take a Myers Leonard. That's, that's my problem. So unless you're getting him for a super, super cheap deal, maybe five million, and which I know is completely asinine and outrageous and, and it's not going to happen. I have to thank him for his services and probably let him go because that guy that we could get, like an Anderson, he's ready to hoop right now and get us 20 a night. And then we're going to have to find that big bear of a man to guard the Boogie Cousins five games out of the year. Or, you know, the big... Yeah, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sign a player just because of Boogie Cousins on a Sacramento Kings team exactly. that's never going to make the playoffs. But you know, if they have our number for three or four games out of the season... So be it. I still think you could beat them. Do you uh, think Cliff Alexander could be that big bear of a man? I mean, he's built like it. I mean, it's going to take a lot of... It's a lot of its attitude. And I don't think Myers gets enough credit for his attitude. Oh, he is so willing to... to he's bang. willing to get down and dirty and, and scrap and just brawl with, with fools. And I love that about him. If Myers would just be... I think what really... Just I'm at my wit's end is... The inability to just catch and shoot and not think. It's too many, too much pump fake. It's too much wonderable and, and do other things. Uh, if he would just play more like, and I keep saying it, Ryan Anderson, he gets the ball and he shoots. He knows what his role is. Very few times he's going to put the ball on the floor. And I haven't really seen Myers Leonard post up like the way Ryan Anderson does on a... No, and that's what separates an Anderson from a Leonard as well. You look at Rhino, he's what, what, 27 or 28 years old? Yeah. You know, Myers is 24. Do you think, if you're the Trailblazers, if you legitimately think Myers can get to Rhino's spot at that time, then yeah, you probably sign him. But then you also have to factor in Damian Lillard, who is going to be 26 this offseason. 
I think he's deserved it. I think the fans have deserved it. Let's put some real solid players in his age bracket that can hoop. Like we're mm. talking legit starters, you know, borderline fringe all-stars that he can grow with. Needle movers. Leave. Yep. We need some needle movers. So I know we're going to have to trade a lot of assets for this person, but would you rather have favors or Ryan Anderson in a vacuum? Well, one I can sign, one I don't think is a realistic option because I'm not trading CJ McCollum for him, and I think that's what it would take. Really? I think a few first-round picks, Noah Vonley, maybe some other sweeteners. I, I'm, you know, the Blazers have, they didn't have a 2014 first-round pick because of the Gerald Wallace trade, which was fine. We got Lillard out of that, out of Gerald Wallace. Uh, we didn't get a 2015 first-round pick because we traded Hollis Jefferson for Mason Plumley, and we're likely not going to have a 2016 first-round pick because we're going to make the playoffs, and we don't have any second-round picks in that time either, except for we got Connaughton in the Plumley deal. So you're looking at three years, and mm-hmm. Pat Connaughton is the only player you've gotten. I guess you could say Cliff Alexander and Luis Montero, but those are unsigned, and every team has the ability to find those players. So one second-round pick in three years, I'm not about to just throw the farm, because I really have seen Blazer teams get derailed because they failed to draft year after year, and I think you really need to bring in those young players, so I wouldn't give up. You know, it's been so long since we have picks in consecutive drafts. Uh, I really love Neil Olshay. He's a fantastic it's scout and talent evaluator, so I want to give as many chances at the draft as possible. See, this is where I disagree with you, and that's fine, because smart people can do- disagree, but if Derek Favors was on the table for the Cleveland first round, Noah Vonley, Mason Plumley, and a future first, I do it in a heartbeat. Because, like you said, we need hoopers. And Derek yeah. Favors is young, plays really good defense, rebounds, steals. I wouldn't steals. give up Vonley in that package. Maybe somebody else. But, yeah, I may, maybe I forgot. We got we did get that Cleveland pick for taking on Berejau. So, um, yeah, I could be talking to that. Yeah, I mean, again, it, 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 it's the styles between you and I. We're both right. We could both be right, but I do it for Derek Favors. Yeah, I did forget we had that Cleveland pick, so I would want to keep on lane because I think he would be fantastic backing up. Ed can play backup center. Um, do you think the Favors Vonley front court of the future would be workable as a five and a four, or just yeah. as fours and fours? I think you'd have to move Favors to the five for Vonley to succeed. I think that would be actually pretty sweet. If NBA is going small, it, it, I don't think it would really present too much of a problem. Yeah, Favors is really, watch some Utah Jazz games. When he's feeling good, he is a beast. And Dame's smart enough to give him the ball, which some of those Utah, Utah guards are not smart enough to give the bigs the ball in position to score. So let's move. We talked about Myers Leonard. Uh, let's touch on Mo Harkless a bit. He's now getting another chance to shine. I don't think he's going to command much, but if, I mean, we really hold his, his fate in our hands because he is restricted. I would love to bring Mo back. Oh, without a doubt. A small deal because it, it's like a pinch hitter in baseball to be able to come in off the bench cold, even when you do it every game, let alone once every three or four games and produce very tough to find. And I still think he has a lot of potential. I love the way he always has a nose for the basketball. 
He's finding a perfect cut to get there. He's shown good help, def- uh, help side defensive tendencies. And he was shooting the three extremely well early on in the season. If that comes back, you know, watch out for him because I think that's what's going to take him to a fantastic three and D player. So mm-hmm. I'm all about bringing, uh, Mo Harkless back. I think the one player who earlier in this podcast, you would have heard me say we match any offer for Alan Crabb. Before that Dallas game, I was, I was really questioning that. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Don't no, say you do it. Okay. I'm not being a prisoner. I was just saying before, but literally my thought process, I was talking to Olga. I was like, you know, I don't know if we bring this guy back. You know, then he goes out and has 24 points on six of 10 from three. I need to see more of that the rest of the season. That can't just be, you know, a, one a, blip, a blip in the radar because he has talent. He can shoot the basketball, but I mean, you look at his splits and they've gone down every month since December, uh, from averaging 14 points to, you know, 8.7 and his three point shooting. You know, thankfully it's back up to 40% in March, but it dipped all the way down to 33 in February. And that's what he's known for is a shooter. And I love his defensive potential. Um, but how again, long was he at Cal? He stayed there for three years, I believe. That he fits the profile of a DN3 player. And I know other scouts, GMs know that profile just like I know that profile. Yeah. I mean, I really want to keep Allen. I do. I just need to see more. But don't mortgage. I would love to keep him, but if he's expensive. Yeah, you might need to look for another option. There's going to be cheap guards that can hit threes. Mm -hmm. I I mean, Langston, I know you don't like him, but Langston Galloway can do some of the stuff that Alan Crabb would do for a lot cheaper. So I think we we touched on the restricted free agents. We will discuss some of Portland's unrestricted free agents on next week's episode. Let's move on to the week that will be for the Trailblazers, an incredibly important four-game week, which includes a rematch against Dallas on Wednesday. Uh, If your schedule says 7.30, that's wrong. It has actually been changed to 7 o'clock. They followed up with a back-to-back in Los Angeles against the Clippers at 7.30 on my man's birthday. Yup. They come home to the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday, and then they have the Sacramento Kings on Monday to wrap up the week. Both of those games at 7 o'clock. Sage, let's dig right into this game against the Dallas Mavs. Um, We've been saying this throughout the podcast in recent ones. There are must-win games. This definitely has all the makings of a must-win. Blazers are 36 and 35 right now. Dallas is 35 and 35. Uh, Portland needs this game because if they both end up with the same amount of losses, Dallas is getting the, the the nod ahead of them because they've already beaten us twice. You know, we discussed the last meeting in Portland. It was a 115-112 overtime loss. No surprise. Darren Williams had 30. Sherrick had 28. Blazers blew that seven-point lead with about 90 seconds left. And then, of course, the one we talked about earlier on the podcast. Let's no need to go into discussion there. Sage, what are your keys for the Blazers to finally beat this Dallas Mavericks team that, for some reason, seems to have the number? It's about defense, man. We can score. It's all about containing old man Dirk and old man Darren Williams and maybe Chandler Parsons if he plays. Yeah. I mean, my keys, I think Portland has to hold Dallas under 105 points per game. 
I don't think that's asking the world. They only average 102.9, which is very middle of the road, 14th in the NBA. I think Portland has to limit Dallas to 45% shooting. Um, Dallas shoots about 46.8% in, in, in wins during the season. I think one other major factor was the free throw line. Portland got into such early foul trouble in that game and it allowed Dallas to get into a rhythm from the line. And they shoot at about 80%, which is fourth best in the league. And they get there almost 23 times a night. Um, and lastly, stop relying on the threes. We shot 46. I think we need to shoot under 30. That's going to show that we're not afraid of their interior defenders. We're getting to the line. We're getting to the paint. And, you know, I'll, I'll eat crow if we're dribbling into the paint and kicking it out for absolutely wide open threes off of like two or three passes. We could shoot 50 of those. That's mm. fine. But no, just pull up threes, you know, quick shots. This team is old. Very old. Let's make them work on defense. Let's feed off the crowd. Um, are you scared of Dirk and David Lee as post defenders? Absolutely no. not. What's your X factor, my friend? I'm gonna go old man Dirk and his pick and roll. Yeah, I think my X factor is Terry Sots. That was the first thing when I was doing. So, what is my X factor? Terry Sots. Um, just a simple question: Will he adjust? He saw that he had proof that Al Farouk Amido makes Dirk's life harder. Will he go to that early because he saw that there was some success? Or is it going to be think stubborn? With a player like Dirk, you have to go to early because once he gets a couple, once he sees the ball goes through the net, then he's backing you down, shooting one-legged, you know, fadeaways from 20 feet, um, ridiculous arc, and it's going in because he knows it. He's got that confidence and he's mm-hmm. got that rhythm. You have to take him out of his rhythm immediately. And for the love of God, can we defend Darren Williams? This isn't freaking 2008. He's not an all-star. Let's quit letting him get 30 on us. Is there a point guard? I, I've been wondering this. Is there a point guard we defend well? Is there like I maybe can, Jose, maybe Jose Calderon, George Hill? I bet George Hill could get busy on our defense though. He hasn't this year, thankfully. Wasn't he hurt one of those games? Uh, anyway, whatever. Yeah. Either way, they're, they're few and far between. But defense, Portland. Uh, I'm picking you to win this game. You haven't shown me you can beat the Mavericks, but I'm showing faith that I think you can do it. I I want to see a pissed off Blazer team. I want to see them take some goddamn pride in their defense and lock this team up. They are not that difficult to defend. No. Plain and simple. So I'm going Blazers victory. What do you say, Sage? My heart's telling me one thing. My brain's telling me the other. I'm going to go with my brain and say we're going to lose. Okay. I mean, what proof do we have? Well, I think the proof is we should have won both those games. We, you know, let the first one, we gave that first game away. And I think if we have a better play at the end of regulation, we're 2-0 against this team. The the games are super close. Uh, Portland's had time to rest, time to let that loss sink in, time to finally get off of the road for a little bit. I think they're going to rebound. I've got faith in this team. They don't want to back into the playoffs. They don't want to miss the playoffs. They need. They know there's only 11 games left in the season, and the time is now to turn this ship around. We'll see. I would love it. Like My heart wants them to win, but, man, it's a veteran team with a fantastic coaching staff. 
I just also don't see Wesley Matthews starting out five for five from three again. Uh, I, I don't see Berea getting the calls that he does in Dallas and Portland. And how did you feel about saying what? I cannot fathom Darren Williams scoring 30 points again. I just, I cannot see it. If it happens, it's going to be a pretty ugly podcast next week because that's unacceptable. But I think they're going to make some changes. Uh, Stotts, he's smarter than we all are combined. He will make changes, I hope. And I think we're going to see a menu on Dirk and a lot more effort, especially because we've had those two days off of rest. The home crowd is going to provide us some spark. Blazers going to get the dub. How did you feel about seeing Wesley just super injured playing? It hurt I, my heart a little. Yeah, it felt reckless too. You, you've got to just put him down on the bench. I know that sounds terrible, like putting him down. Like you, no, no. You have to sit him down on the bench and say, Wesley, you signed a max contract. You are a cornerstone of our franchise based on salary alone. You have to get right. I saw him do this too many times as a trailblazer, and it really screwed him up. When you have an injury, you have to be man enough to say, I shouldn't be playing through this. He looked gimpy as hell, and like I said, he was shooting those threes. I was fine with him taking him. He's not a good three-point shooter this year. Uh He had a great game. I don't see it happening again. I love Wes, but he's really just a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter right now. Yeah. It, it, it was tough watching him play. It was painful. And it was painful for him to to do it. I I think that whole Iron Man thing, it it's cool to see Cal Ripkins, but man, he had a lot of nagging injuries, which players realize. Well, it's also easier to play third base and wait for a ball to come hit you once every, you know, four or five at bats, than having to run up and down a court and also defend a player for forty eight minutes a night. All right, you know I don't know shit about baseball. Uh, I went into deep waters and wasn't prepared for your response. Ah. <laughs> you were waiting for those floaties, and I didn't have any. I said, hey, Sage, how's that water? Awful. I shouldn't have got in. <laughs> All right, so second night of a back-to-back, Portland heads to Staples for their only trip to uh, Los Angeles to take on the Clippers this season on your birthday. Sage, this is a Clippers team that it's going to be a back-to-back for them as well. They play at Golden State uh, the Wednesday, and they train wreck. They I don't know how they lost by 11 points at Memphis, and I have no idea how your Pelicans <laughs> beat them, and they, they put up 109 points in the process. What the hell is going on in Clipperville? I don't know. That, that pissed me off so much. <laughs> I I remember... After the game, I was just in my bathroom just screaming, why couldn't they close it out? They they do stupid stuff. I think the nepotism thing has gone so far with Austin Rivers. He is getting finishing five minutes for the Clippers. And that's ridiculous because he was, in the games I watched, he was shooting like four for 15. He's absolutely awful. Doc Rivers needs to realize that and keep him on the roster. Just don't play him in clutch moments like that. And I I don't get it, man. They like to look past teams. They don't put their full effort in. 
And you know, it, it's shocking with Chris Paul that there's the ele- two Hall of Famers are on that team and they're lacking for effort a lot. It seems ridiculous that Paul Pierce and Chris Paul are letting that happen. I mean, do you think that plays in Portland's hand? Because they are just three and six in their last nine. Could be three and seven, looking at three straight losses, most likely losing to Golden State in, in the Bay Area. But you mentioned looking ahead. Uh, they did just crush the Rockets in Houston the game before the Memphis one, but they also got crushed by a, a very poor playing Cleveland team right now and the San Antonio Spurs and the Thunder. So are they just not good enough? Or are they, because you said they're not getting up for teams, which might be the case. But from those games outside of Houston, they're not getting up for anybody right now. I think they're just a cluster. Uh, I think they're just a badly run team. I mean, when Doc Rivers is making very emotional decisions, they're in a bad place. So do you think Portland can finally take advantage of a slumping team? I uh, th- we, we didn't against Oklahoma City, who was 4-8 and eight before playing Portland. We didn't against Dallas when they had lost six straight home games. Is this the time Portland finally, you know, the basketball gods are giving you something on a silver platter, a slumping team. Can can they finally just take that? Man, I, I think the matchup to look at is Chris Paul versus Damian Lillard. I mean, you're completely right, because if we go back to the last meeting, uh Portland lost in Portland 109 to 98. CP3 had 21 and 19. If we remember, that was the game with the clerical error, no McCollum. Mm. But Portland did win the first matchup of that year, uh, 102 to 91 back on November 20th. And like you said, CP, just 11 points on 12 shots and only eight assists. He deferred a lot that game. I remember that. I remember that whole, that whole Clipper team didn't look like they wanted to be there. Mm. And Portland took it from him. Dame had 27. CJ and Mace had 18 apiece. And that was the monster performance by Ed Davis, 17 and 15. 10 of those 15 boards coming on the offensive glass. But the two things, but the main thing that stood out to me in those two games, Chris Paul, when he goes off for, you know, 20 and 15, they win. When he, when we limit his assists and his, his points, Portland has a great chance at winning. I completely agree. It comes down to CV3. And I think it's Portland's willingness and they have to do this. They have to chase JJ Redick. When JJ has a good game, that's when the Clippers win a lot of games. So JJ is now shooting forty-eight point six from three. He overtook Kawhi Leonard. He is the NBA's top marksman percentage-wise right now. Yeah, and you gotta whomever is guarding him has to be game to run around screens, run through screens, and defend that open J. Because a lot of things open up when JJ Redick is hitting threes. And I think the, shots. Yeah, I think the Blazers must win that three-point line because the Clippers average about 32.6% from deep, which is sixth best. The Blazers average 36.8%, which is fourth best. So you got two top six percentage shooting teams from three. It's probably going to come down to that three-point line. I also think Portland must win the boards. You would think cl- the Clippers would be a fantastic rebounding team because of DeAndre, who averages about 14 rebounds per game, second only to Andre Drummond. But really, they only get 42 boards per game, which is seventh worst. So outside of DeAndre, if you can keep him off the boards, let everybody else gobble up those rebounds if you're the Trailblazers. Uh, well, do you think... To, hold you them see, to one shot. Yeah, do you see J.J. Redick or Paul Pierce, Jamal Crawford willing to grab those tough rebounds? 
The oh, only, hell no. The only two people I think that will grab that tough rebound is DeAndre and Chris Paul. I think Chris mm-hmm. Paul would be willing to sacrifice his body to get that rebound, which because I've seen it. Yeah. You know, my X Factor, uh, we touched on this, it's got to be the Chris Paul pick and roll. Thankfully, he doesn't have Blake Griffin to shoot that jumper, but I think if he gets 15-plus to. Fifteen plus assists, it's over. Lights out for Portland. Fifteen uh, assists is a lot, but he does it routinely against us. Yeah. Well, actually, all guards do it routinely against us because we make it so easy for them to get into their offense and get the mas- mismatches they want, and it's just a uh, easy pass for an easy bucket. Uh, Portland has to stop that. Uh, what's your X factor? It's a it's CP versus Dame. Do you think the Clippers will continue to blitz Lillard like they they started to do last year? Do you think they'll continue that? Uh, yeah. I think so, Doc Rivers is a bad basketball mind, but Chris Paul sure as hell isn't. He know I mean he knows that the the Blazers struggle when you blitz their guards. He's gonna do it. And even if the other player on his team isn't ready to do it, he's gonna do it. And you know what? He's probably gonna foul a lot and not get called for it. So, win or loss? I'm going Blazers win. It's my birthday. Your birthday? I see you. I got the Mavericks winning. You got the. Or I've got the Blazers beating the Mavericks. You got the other way. I'm gonna keep this to the course. I'm gonna disagree with you. Uh, Clippers. It, it's gonna be like they're gonna find find what they're looking for against the Blazers because that's what it's happened all season long. Uh, I am an optimist, but I also tend to start getting down a little bit, and it just, I haven't seen it yet. Can the Blazers finally take advantage of a team that is not playing good basketball? Um, I would love to see them win, especially on your birthday. I think it would be a major win, especially if you beat Dallas to get two in a row, but I've got this as a loss. I, we have no answer for Chris Paul, and... How many teams do? A lot of teams do lately. <laughs> True. Hey! But even if Portland does lose that game, the scheduling gods say, here's our gift to you after your tough road trip. We give you the Philadelphia 76ers. Can't take this easy, man. On a Saturday night in Rip City. The Sixers are 9-61, and worst team in the NBA. Lost five straight. Just one win in their last ten games. Only three wins this entire season on the road. But Can't we all remember easy. what happened on the 16th of January. Jalil Okafor had a 25 and 10. The Blazers, out, the Blazers didn't show up. And we got spanked 114-89. And it wasn't even that close. To the worst team in the NBA. A team, that started, a team that started, what was it, 0-24? Mm-hmm. We, so that shows you that one of the worst, the worst start in NBA history still has the ability to beat our Blazers by 25 points and make it look easy. So the Blazers better take this team seriously. I hope the revenge factor is enough for this one. But what's even more concerning is Portland scored 89 points against a defense that gives up, on average, 107.8. <laughs> Second worst in the league. Um, That's just mind-boggling. I think the big key is sharing the basketball. There's going to be such a temptation to say, this guy in front of me is a terrible defender. I'm going to go one-on-one and break him down. It needs to be sharing is caring. In wins, the Blazers average 23 assists. In losses, it dips all the way down to 19. That is a huge gap for assists. That's You're talking 8, eight to what uh, 12 points if you're going on threes. 
just based upon wins and losses. So that's going to be one of my big keys for the game. What are you looking for, Sage? Well, Jaleel's out for the rest of the year. Robert Covington, who was playing really good basketball, also out for the year. Did you did you see that that fall? No, I didn't. Don't. But he and my boo Jeremy Grant collided. Grant got concussed. Robert Covington messed up his neck. So it cuts down the depth that the Philadelphia 76ers have, which in young athletic guys, they have a lot of them. They're just not good. But they have athletes. Or they had them. So I think the starting lineup is Ish Smith, Nick Stauskas, Hollis Thompson, Nerlens. Oh God! And then uh, it's either Jeremy Grant or uh, crap. He's an athletic center. I forgot though. Rashad Holmes. I've probably heard of like four players that you just mentioned. What Portland must do is they cannot fall in love with a three-point shot this game. Attack the Sixers' interior. You said Jaleel's out. Really, Nerlens Noel is the only big you have to worry about. He averages just one and a half blocks per game. Uh, he shouldn't be deterring the Blazers from uh, going inside. Uh, Philly allows 47, 45.7 points in the paint. That's fourth most. They also give up 26.5 free throws a game, third most. That means teams can attack them and either get an easy bucket inside or get to the line. That's how you're going to beat this team. Don't let them off the hook by settling for a three. Do exactly what you did to a shorthanded Orlando team two weeks earlier and just beat the living shit out of them and play great basketball and get everyone involved. Um, that's what I think they should do. What's your X factor? I think it's dominating the boards. The Sixers are starting. I, I yep. It's Hollis Thompson, Jeremy Grant, and Nerlens Noel. Not really the biggest rebounding front court in the league. Exactly. I want them to dominate the boards, maybe run out for some fast breaks, but it's all about limiting Philly to one shot because any given day, right? Exactly. Let's let's stomp them out. You know, I think we're on the same track because my X factor is the hustle board. Um, Steals, rebounds, and blocks. Does the Portland Trailblazers look like they want to play basketball that night? If you look up at that hustle board and Portland has a decisive advantage, you can easily say yes, they did. Because it's called the hustle board for a reason. And it takes effort, energy, and intensity to win the hustle board. And the Blazers must win all those three categories. And if they do, you can take it to the bank. They will knock off the 76ers for a much-needed win. And that takes us, I'm assuming you got the Blazers winning. Well, it's a sage curse. I love Jeremy Grant. That means he's going to suck. So I'm going Blazers win. Well, Jeremy Grant could score 50, and the Blazers would still win this game. You know how much I love that. <laughs> so rounding out the week is a big game. I mean, they're all big down the stretch, especially when you've got sub-500 teams coming into your gym. Uh, the dysfunctional Sacramento Kings, they're 27-42 and 42 on the year. Uh, they've, they're just 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. Um, likely no Myers Leonard to disrupt Boogie Cousins. Which is a shame which is a shame, but thankfully Sacramento will be on the second night of a back-to-back. They will play Dallas the night before in uh, Sacramento, so Portland will have the advantage there. But this is 
a series that this season the Blazers have dominated. Uh, the first matchup was a 98-94 victory in Sacramento uh, two days after Christmas. Uh, remember, that was when we did not have Damian Lillard suited up, but we got 35 from CJ. He almost had a triple-double. Almost had a triple-double. And to just really highlight how much we missed Myers, he had 16-11 and 11 that night. Uh, yes, Cousins had 36, but he just shot 12 of 26. And that's the game where we really started to double-team good bigs. Uh, that was good really big. That was really aided by Mo Harkless. I thought he played fantastic help side defense, and we swarmed him. We really made life a living nightmare for DeMarcus. Is this the game where he said that Myers isn't a defender, or was that in the future? No, that was the next game. Uh, Perfect segue, a 112-97 victory in Portland on the 26th of January. Uh, Cousins was coming off, I believe, a 48 and then a 54-point outing uh, in back-to-back nights just just on cloud nine, destroying people right before the all-star selections. Uh, he only had 17 points on four of 21 field goals. Myers got in his head. And what I, loved about this game, yeah, what I loved about this game, seven Blazers scored in double figures, and the high man was just 18 points by C.J. McCollum. That's the type of game I want to see against the Sixers and the Kings. Get everyone involved and... Beat them as a team. We shouldn't need Dame to put on the hero cape and score 50 for us to beat either of these teams. Um, this is a must-win game for me. Another must-win game. You cannot lose to the Sacramento Kings at home. And hopefully they do a solid and beat Dallas the night before. Oh, that would be fantastic. But, you know, Portland has got to keep the Kings out of the paint. Uh, they average about 50 points per game in the paint, which is second most. And it's, it's gonna be tough without Myers. He really was... You know, you don't want to say it, but he was he's the, the boogie stopper. At least the boogie frustrator. Yeah, he makes life difficult on him, and that's really all you can ask for. And so now you're looking at, you know, is it Mason Plumley? I mean, that's not the best matchup. Uh, maybe it's, I don't think you want Chris Kamen, but he's a little more bulkier. Uh, He'll have six fouls. Six fouls. You better bring up Cliff Alexander to use his fouls too, but uh, it, it's really tough statistically, when you look at this team to defend the Kings, it's like, how do you how do you beat them? Because do you double-team them and dare them to beat you from three, but then you look at the stats, and they make 10.33s a game, which is best in the NBA. I would have not thought that was the case. But they Undo gives a lot of open threes to Caspi and Collison. Yeah. I mean, that's... So then you look at that, and you think, how do you defend them? Well, the Kings will turn the ball over uh, 16.3 times, third most, and they don't shoot well from the foul line, just 73%. That's fifth worst. So you can get aggressive with them. You can foul them. You can get into their heads because they're likely not going to make you pay for it at the charity stripe. Uh, my X factor, limit the turnovers. The Kings score about 18 points off a turnover, seventh best, and they force 16 turnovers, which is seventh best. In a game where you should win, when you're at home, when you have more time, <laughs> The last thing you want to do is just give the ball away. Take care of that basketball. Blazers get that victory. I've got a Blazers win. What are you looking for? What's your expert? I think it's guarding the guards. The starting lineup for the Kings is Rondo, Justin Anderson, Rudy Gay, Quincy Acey, and Demarcus. But it's really Darren Collison at the two. So I think CJ and Dame have to be ready to chase and uh, defend those guards. Of course, it's Boogie we have to worry about, but shut down his uh, outlets. 
And it's Darren Gollison's playing fantastic lately, and he is quick. And we don't do well guarding water, but quick point guards. So you got win or loss? I got a win, but it's going to be tougher than most people think. I'm I saying it's so. like five point win. So we both have a three and one week. You have us beating the Clippers. I have us beating the Mavericks. Either way, I think we would all be thrilled with a three and one week. Um, it's time to get right after, uh, a, you know, about a two to three week stretch of just too much losing. Let's get mm-hmm. that mojo back heading into the playoffs. And I checked the Twitter. We got, we got some mail time, Sage. So you ready for some fan questions? Yeah, ma'am. All right. This one comes from Larry at TBPup22. He wants to know, and this is in reference to the Lillard three, which would have won the game in Dallas in regulation. Is that the best shot that Portland and Stotts can get? So much time, dribble, dribble, dribble. That is not good coaching. Right, we kind of addressed this, but do you want to handle this one? No, you can do it. I mean, it's it's bad everything. It's not yeah, just it's coaching. bad everything. I, I wouldn't have called the timeout at the beginning. I would have pushed the tempo. Um, I think you have to put a little bit of blame on Terry for calling the ISO. I think plays work so much better when you have movement. I don't. I, I hate isolation basketball at the end of at, at the end of games. It's like a prevent defense in football. Yeah, and a little bit of the blame has to go on Lillard because you cannot settle for that shot. You've got to exactly. You got to take him to the cup. You're Damian Lillard. I know he doesn't get a lot of calls, but you're more likely to get a call than CJ or Al Farouk. So put the put the pressure on the refs to get a whistle. I would have liked to see something different, uh, especially when the game's tied. Mm-hmm. You, you do you never the only time you shoot a three when the game is tied is if somebody is wide open. Yeah, like I can't blame Stott. Like if he says ISO, take him to the hoop and Dame. I mean, we're not there. We don't know the insight of the huddle. But I'm guessing Terry Stotts did not say Dame shoot a really bad three. Yeah. So he so did we, it. It's on everybody. That's we have a, a question from Chase uh, on Twitter. He is at underscore Ben underscore through underscore. Lots of underscores, but we love the question. Better matchup for round one. OKC at the sixth seed or the Clippers at the fifth? I think it's easy uh, uh, easy answer, but I want to hear from you. They get the win on my birthday, so it's obviously the Clippers. They're dysfunctional. Yeah, I think if we eventually matched up with the Clippers, that is one first-round series. I would not be surprised if we won. I think it would go six or seven. OKC is just the worst matchup for us in the entire NBA. I would rather play the Warriors than the Thunder, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, we would lose both series, but the the bigs the Thunder have just present so many matchup nightmare problems for us. And then you've got Russell and KD, who could go off for 35 each. It is I really don't want that six seed. Let's just put it that way. The Thunder, just a bad matchup. Yep. I think the Clippers are the more safe pick for the playoffs. If that's an option in any way, shape, or form, we take that. But we actually have to win games to get the Clippers. So we have a couple more questions from Larry. So shout out to Larry for sending in good questions, too. In the playoffs, do they still start Von Ley or do they play Cayman more? I am all on the Von Ley train. If we're talking playoff experience over a draft pick, this is exactly what we mean. We want Noah Vonley to start and play big minutes because that's what is going to take him to the next level, in my opinion. And we've seen what Chris Kamen gives you offensively, and he's one of the worst defensive players I've ever seen, and he hasn't gotten better with age. He's not wine, he's milk. 
Yeah, it's fondly every time. All right, one last question from Larry. If Portland makes the playoffs, how many games do they win against the Warriors? Zero. The Spurs and the Thunder, assuming they match up with one of those three teams. And he also says, please, no four, no week predictions. Well, we got you on that. We're going to go three and one, though. Uh, so I'll hand it over to you. We're playing the Warriors. How many games does that series go? Four. Four? See, I think it goes five. I think we beat them one game. One game? Well, let me tell you. When you're up 30 against the Warriors, game is not over. Yeah, but we got Dame. I'm going zero. You can no, Blazers get it. Blazers per- no, Blazers get a game. They, they showed earlier this year they can play so with the Warriors. So if we get a game, how crazy does the fan get, base get with thinking we can go three and one for the rest of the, the in the, in the series? Does oh, it go so, well, are you saying we, if we win game three? Yeah. Do you think oh, oh, it's Rip City's, the Rip City optimism is going through the roof? Kool-Aid sales are going to be through the roof if we get game three. <laughs> How many games do you think we get against the Spurs? Zero. Nope, I think it goes six against the Spurs. Damn! I guess I'm just the... I don't think the Spurs... When I was watching that game, yes, I know they beat the Warriors. However, I think Warriors played a, a D-plus game at best. I thought the Spurs played probably one of their finest games. Um, I'm not worried about the Spurs in the postseason if I'm, if I'm the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry missed a lot of shots. So did Clay Thompson. The Warriors are, or the Spurs are a team where I make LaMarcus Aldridge beat me and just shoot jump shots and play tough defense on him. And yeah, they're, they're a much better coach team and they're not, they're, <laughs> they're impossible to win at home. I, I think Portland can, can take two, take two uh, at, uh, in the Rose, in the Rose Garden. Um, I don't think it's a terrible matchup for Portland. They played they played the Spurs pretty dang tough um, this last time around, and they played them tough uh, in Portland early on in the season as well. Um, the the Thunder is the game. I don't think we would get swept. I think we would take take one from from OKC. I think it would go five. I'm going four. Ask me about the the Clippers. And it'll be a you don't think answer. we would get one game from the Warriors, Thunder, or Spurs? I don't. One? Nope. No. Dame's too good for that. He's going to get one at least by himself. Clippers. I'm going seven. I I would go seven too. So, but I, I think we're good enough to get one against the Warriors, Thunder, or Spurs. Though, come on, man. Hate me all you want. You can I'm hate not hating you. I might have to make I might have to make a Mitchell and bet with you though. All right, deal. Bet. I'll all buy right. you an Eminem T-shirt if they win. <laughs> one game. Straight up. I'll buy you whatever. Well, I want to see Evan. how we're playing going into the playoffs first. Okay. But All right. That Evan T-shirt is a bet if they play to your standards. Okay. We'll, right. we'll discuss as we go into the playoffs a couple weeks from now. But uh, it's about 11.06 on a Monday night. I think we've been ranting and rambling <laughs> for, for quite some time now. It's time to uh, wrap this show up. Uh, if you love this podcast, you love what you're hearing, give us that five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, so you don't have to wait for the tweet to be sent out to, to hear uh, this goodness. Speaking of Twitter, you can find us on Twitter at Holy Backboard. We're tweeting during games, before games, after games, non-game days, pretty much all the time. And this podcast is also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher at Holy Backboard PDX. Uh, thanks for listening. Let's rebound, regroup. Let's get some wins this week, Rip City. Sage, it's, as always, it's been a pleasure. If you think we're smart... Or you think we're stupid, 
share it with a friend, honestly. I mean, word of mouth helps. So definitely, if you if you mess with us, retweet or share it on SoundCloud. Help us out. Get some listens. And, uh, yeah, peace out. Um, Let's go Blazers. Go Blazers. Let's go! Let's go!